Peter, we have been training together for five weeks now, and our time has come to a close. So how are you feeling? You know, Dina, I must say, I feel pretty good. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was a bit skeptical at first, but you know, your personal training services have probably been one of the greatest purchases of my life. Oh, you should leave a review. <laughs> Shameless plug. Oh, Dina. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, my time here is obviously coming to an end. Mm -hmm. And that scares me. Oh. I don't want to have to part ways because you've made a difference mm -hmm. in my life. Oh, well, thank you for that, Peter. But you know what? I think that what's important is for you to really make a personal regimen so that you can keep up with this even after I'm gone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because mm -hmm. my biggest concern was I was going to fall off the wagon and go mm -hmm. back to my old ways, but mm -hmm. it seems like I really need to dedicate some devoted and personal time towards mm -hmm. this. Yeah, you just got to wake up and make sure that you devote time to what's important and then stick to that plan. And that's the difference between a five-week training and a lifestyle of uh, healthy living. Thanks. I'm really going to focus in on that. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Dina. You're welcome, Peter. And never lose hope. I may have been a tough person to deal with, but you fought for me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Best client. All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at SDSA. Glad you're joining us here. As, as Katie said earlier, you're coming on a fun Sunday. We've had a great day so far. And we are wrapping up a series today called Spiritual Sweat, which has been, from all the feedback I've been getting, great but difficult. Okay, and what we're doing in this series is we are getting into shape. As we've been following Peter and his journey to get into physical shape, we have been trying to get into spiritual shape. And the same way that getting into physical shape is going to be work, it's not going to be easy, and in fact, if it is easy, you're probably not doing a very good job at it. Same thing is true as what we're realizing in our spiritual lives. We started this, this discussion six week, five weeks ago, and we talked about a problem which all of us face, and that is the problem of complacency. All of us know what it means to be complacent, to get apathetic, to kind of lose steam or lose momentum on our spiritual lives. So we started this series by saying we want to shake that complacency. We want to get back in shape. And we realized from the very start that if we're going to get in shape, there's a God piece and a me piece. With everything in life, there's a God piece and a me piece. The God piece, we liken that to the seed. The me piece, we liken that to the soil. The seed is God's responsibility, and God, I promise you, is going to put down some seeds. I guarantee it, especially as we approach Holy Week, we approach Easter, we approach the most important week of the year. I guarantee you God's going to throw seed. That's not the issue. The issue is what's the soil going to be like that receives the seed? Because all the seed in the whole wide world is not going to have much benefit and much value on the soil that has gotten fallowed ground. We're talking about that fallow soil, that hard soil. Like if I put all the great seeds in the whole wide world up here, it's not going to do much good. And a lot of us, we needed to make our hearts fertile once again. We needed to turn the soil. And we said, that's not easy and that's painful, but we're going to turn up that soil. And that's what we've been doing for the past several weeks. We started by talking about humility and about how humility is the foundation of a life with God. Because humility starts off by putting each one in the right place. God is there. I am here. God is above, I am below. I am humus. Humility comes the word humus, which means I am dust. From dust I came, and to dust I shall return. And the one who we saw that week, that the people who lose their relationship with God and can never have a relationship with God are the people who, as we read in the scripture, want to make a name for themselves. 
or elevate themselves. That person never going to have any success in relationship with God, no matter how many seeds. Then we saw not just humility, we saw honesty after that. So it's not just who we, not just what we are, we are humus, but what's inside the humus? And we said each one needs to know their name. And we need to challenge each one to say, if I came to you, if God came to you and wrestled you tonight and said, what's your name? Then who would you, who would you say that you are? Because for many of us, we're hiding. We say, okay, God, we love you and we want to be good and we want you to, to do good stuff for us, but we don't want to admit the truth. Truth is I got a sickness. Truth is I have a problem. Truth is I have an addiction. We don't want to admit that. But until we admit it, then God can't do much with the seed. And that was hard. But then we started even getting even deeper. We went to repentance after that. We talked about repentance is a change, but it's two kinds of change. Change of mind, change of action. And any kind of repentance that is missing one of the two, to change your action without changing your mind, no good. Change your mind without change your action, also no good. And the last week, just in case you were still doing okay and still didn't break a spiritual sweat yet, we went last week, we went straight to the core. We talked about purity. And we talked about sexual immorality. And we saw how all of us need to take a good look in the mirror and see where we are on sexual immorality. Because sexual immorality has deeper consequences than any other sin. And if we are struggling in that area, not struggling, I'm sorry, if we're struggling, it's good. If we are ignoring God's commandment in that area, and we're kind of going like this in that area, and we don't want to look at that area, then we're going to really struggle in our relationship with God. That was all last week, like Kate, or all this past month, like Katie said. You can catch up on all those by going to the well uh, online, by going to stsa.church, and click on the well button right there. Now, we're wrapping up the series. What are we going to talk about here today? We're going to talk about the only thing, the natural next step. You, hopefully have been experiencing some good stuff, learning some stuff, going through some tough stuff, experiencing some revival in your spiritual life. And this is great. But let's be honest. We've all been at the place where we have experienced a spiritual high that didn't last. We've all been there. We went on that retreat when we were back in high school, okay? And we were on that spiritual high and it's never going to change. And then it changed. We all experienced that Good Friday and that sermon, and we cried, and she cried, and he cried, and we said sorry, and that's never going to, and then it, we've all hit the spiritual high before. And actually, not to say, I don't mean this in a bad way, experiencing a spiritual high is actually not that hard. It's not as hard as we make it out to be. The hard part is keeping it. And that's what we're going to talk about here today when we talk about our final piece of the puzzle, which is personal devotional life, okay? A life personal, meaning something I do, not something anyone else does. Devotional, we're talking about what that means, consecrated time for God, and not an activity, not a, not a time of personal devotion, not an exercise of personal devotion, but a life of personal devotion. What we're going to see is just like what Peter saw in the video, like what we all know, get in shape. It's easy to say, you know what? I'm not going to eat for a day or I'm going to go crazy and I'm going to run as far as I can. I'm going to do anything today. And I'm going to get to the scale to say five pounds less by the end of this week. Anyone can do that. Anyone can just starve themselves. Okay, you just get uh, sick. Every time I, you get sick, you end up like, that's not hard. The hard part is not to lose five pounds by the end of the week. The hard part is to lose five pounds by the end of the year. Just be, can still be at five pounds. And that's what we're going to see here in the spiritual life too. In physical body, the key to maintaining good health is changing your habits is establishing good habits. Not a one-time thing, but good daily habits. We're going to see the same is true when it comes to our spiritual life, establishing good habits of personal devotional life. Okay, starting point. I have a belief in life, and I hope you'll agree with me. My belief is that Christianity, our faith, everything we do, 
is a relationship with God. That's what it boils down to, a relationship. And I believe that relationship should mo look more like a husband and a wife than a trip to Santa Claus. I think it should look more like a husband and a wife exchanging, communicating, discussing, sharing life together than it should look like a trip to Santa, sit on his lap, say, I want one, two, three, four, five, and because I was a good boy, and then I go back. And unfortunately, a lot of us have dumbed down the spiritual life into the trip to Santa Claus. And we think, don't be naughty, be nice, get on the good list, make your request, and then get away, and hopefully he'll give you all kinds of good stuff. And we have watered down the relationship with God in that way. I don't believe it's that way, and I hope you agree it's not that way. It's more of a relationship, husband and wife, more than it is Santa and kids, okay, or whatever, nonsense, okay? In this relationship between God and man, let me ask you a question. Who is more excited about the relationship, man or God? Who desires a deep, intimate relationship more, man or God? Let me ask a different question. Who needs a deep, intimate relationship more, man or God? Man or man is not even a close one. God does not need us. Okay, you think God is in need of you, like, like your singing is so great, like yeah, you changed heaven and earth when you sing, like God can, yeah, he's got better, all right? And like your prayer is so great, like no, God is okay without you. Who needs who more? Man needs God more. But who's more excited about the relationship? I think God is. The scripture tells us one very nice characteristic of God, which maybe you never thanked God for, but maybe you should. Exodus 34, 14 says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Did you know that your God is a jealous God? And my God is a jealous God. Now, when we say jealous, don't compare human jealousy to God's jealousy, okay, which is irrational, angry, illogical, controlling. That's not what this means. What it means is that our God is passionate. Our God doesn't desire just a arm's length business relationship, what's good for you, like what's in it for me kind of a relationship. Our God is jealous. Our God is passionate. Our God wants depth and intimacy. And our God, believe it or not, even though we are so much more in desperate need of him, our God desires us more than we desire him. Sadly, sadly to say, but parents, we get this. Who needs who more? The parents need the baby or the baby need the parents? The baby's the one who's in need, but who's the one who's desiring more? It's usually the parents. So parents, we get this. And unfortunately, in our relationship with God, we are not as jealous about God as God is about us. But because he is jealous for us, be careful. That's a great characteristic. But it also has some, we need to have some warnings. Because God is jealous, God cannot, cannot accept lukewarm. See, me and you, because we're not so jealous, we're happy with lukewarm. Like, don't rock the boat. But God cannot accept it. God cannot accept arm's length. God needs a deep, intimate, passionate relationship because that's who he is. He's a jealous God. You know who may get this? Okay, I know I'm, I'm generalizing here and I'm stereotyping and I'm sorry. This is not across the board, but I would say more likely, more often than not, it is. Husbands and wives. Okay? Me and Marianne. Even though I need Marianne more than she needs me. Okay? even though I need Marianne more than she need me. Usually, if one of the two, like the husband, is the one who's lost without the wife. Like, I spend out, I go out, you know what I mean? I say, I'll come home when I come home, and I'm late, and she wait up for me. The day that she's out, I'm like, when are you coming home? And, and why don't you come home now? And I, I, I need my wife, okay? Like, I need her more than she need me. 
But who is more passionate and jealous about the relationship? It's usually the wife. Meaning, this is bad. I'm not saying this is good. I'm just saying this is, this is bad. But sometimes in a marriage, there's no passion. Things are just kind of business partner. Don't forget to get the kids. What's for dinner? Uh, you left the towel on the floor again. Uh, don't uh, lock the door this time. Stop hitting the car. Like whatever it may be. There's business, relationship. And usually, again, I'm stereotyping and I know it's not 100%. But usually the guy isn't as troubled by this as the lady. Usually the guy can, can get by, okay, in this. Let me say it a better way. Usually the guy's like six months later, too late to the party before he realizes this is a problem. Whereas the wife, alarms go off. Okay, bells and whistles and fire alarms and smoke detectors and all kinds of stuff go off. Okay, they say, we're not close, we're not close, something's not right and something's not right. Well, you know what? In our relationship with God, unfortunately, many of us, even though we need God so much more than he needs us, we're okay with lukewarm. We're okay with checkbox. We're okay with, you know what, formality. We're okay with, you know what, I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll put a little money in the money box. You make sure I keep my job on Monday, and we're good. We're kind of okay with that. And we'll read the Bible. We need to read the Bible. And we'll go to church every now and then, but we're not going to be fanatic. We're okay with just kind of keep it cool. I don't believe God is. I don't believe God is. I believe that our God is a jealous God, and our God desires much more. We're going to open a passage of scripture right now from Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 tells a story of one of the most underrated miracles in the scripture. A miracle which gets no attention. Okay, we very rarely talk about this, even though it's an unfathomable thing that God did. Like when God opened the eyes of the blind, that was one time. When God walked on water, Jesus walked on water, that was one time. When Jesus fed the 5,000, that was actually twice, okay? 4,000 and 5,000. But I'm going to have something, a miracle that Jesus did. I'm sorry, that God did in the Old Testament. How many times? 14,600 times. Same miracle. Exodus chapter 16 says, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Context. At this point in time, the Israelites, the children of God, they were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And they cried to God, and please, God, free us. We want to get out of here. God does the burning bush, calls Moses. Moses, go tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. We do the 10 plagues. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And all of a sudden, we get out of there. We get to the Red Sea. What are we going to do? God opens the Red Sea, and now we are out. We are free, and we can do whatever it is that we want. So now they are journeying in the land, okay, in the wilderness, on the way to the promised land, all right? Verse 2, and then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, we'll see what they said in a second. Actually, we'll see it right now. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how today, we complain about the same thing that we prayed for yesterday. Isn't that funny? When they were in Egypt, get us out of Egypt. When they are out of Egypt, get us back to Egypt. Isn't it funny? How the same thing that we prayed about yesterday and we get today, we complain about today. Funny. Keep going. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. People complain there's no bread, no food, no problem. I will rain bread from heaven. 
Anybody ever seen bread rain from heaven? Sorry. <laughs> Hit the number two there, I think. Yeah. Or four. Hit four. Yeah. Anyone ever seen brain come, bread come down from heaven? Anybody? This is an incredible miracle. I will rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, so what God says is this. People out there, we got nothing to eat. God says, no problem. I'll bring bread from heaven. And I'm not just going to do it one day, or two days, or three days, or four days. I'm going to do it every single day. I'm going to do it for 40 years. That's why I got the 14,600. That's roughly, okay, approximately how many times that is. And every single day, I'm going to bring food from heaven. Now, one day a week, the day before the Sabbath, I'm going to bring double the amount. Because the Sabbath, you're not supposed to go out and collect the food. That's where God is going to give them the Sabbath rule in a little bit, Exodus 20. But he didn't give it to them yet. But he's trying to set them up for that. Incredible miracle. Verse 17 says more. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Pay attention to this. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. Every man gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. But some of them left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning. Every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. Every day, they would go out, get the bread for the day. It was like dew on the grass. You wake up every morning, you brush your teeth, you go outside, there's breakfast right there. And you pull it out, and you pull it in enough into your tent, and that fed you all day. Some people tried to bring in extra and steal other people's, and they brought it inside. By the next day, it had gone rotten. It had gotten corrupt. Okay? Each one according to their need. And again, on Sabbath, they got double. What is God doing here in this, in this story? What is God teaching his people? I believe this is not a story of bread and feeding. This is a lesson on how God works with his people. And the lesson is this. Daily manna is about daily relationship. That's the lesson. Daily manna is teaching the lesson of daily relationship. Not weekly, daily. Think about it. If you are God, you're going to feed Okay, they say they're roughly 2 million uh, of the Hebrew nation, okay, when they left Israel. You're going to feed 2 million people. Is this the most efficient way to do it? Like every day, you're going to put bread down there? Like capitalism, entrepreneurial. Why not weekly? Why not build like storehouses? Why not invent a refrigerator so it stops going bad? Like why not go Costco bulk size? Okay, why not like deliver at each one's door like their weekly portion? Like why? You're God. Like uh, the same effort it takes to put one piece of bread to put two, like you're God. Why do it on a daily basis? Like especially the people every day got to go out and click. Imagine if you had to go to the grocery store every single day. That's not the most efficient way. We like bulk. Why did God do it this way? Is it because God wanted to be in control? Is it because God wanted to feed his ego, make you need me every single day? Or is it maybe, maybe, that it's for our own sake that God gives us bread on a daily basis. I'll tell you something I learned as a priest. I had to learn this lesson so many times, I can't count the number of times, but now I got it down. As a priest, one of the parts of the job description is you have to be with people in their toughest times. All right? And people call each other all the time. People usually only call the priest in their toughest time. And I've been with people in some of the worst times of life. I've been there with mothers, find out the children died. 
I actually, one time, I was the one who informed a mother of her son's death. I've been with people. One time, I'll never forget, when I was abroad, I was with a group of three kids whose parents, one killed the other and killed himself. And I was with a group of kids. I'd never, I've been in tough situations. And as a priest, you know what you're supposed to say. So I try to say like an encouraging word. But at the beginning, you know what used to bother me so much? I say to myself, you know what? God, I don't think I could do what these guys are doing. Like, I know what I told that lady to do, but I don't think I could do it. I actually think that's too hard for me. I don't think that I would buy what I'm selling. You know what God said to me? He said, you're right. You can't do it. You know why? Because I didn't give you the grace for it. Because you didn't go through it. I gave her the grace for her situation. I give you the grace for your situation. So now I come to the conclusion that you know what? A lot of people are sitting right here who have gone through stuff that I cannot even imagine, and I don't think I could have gone through it. But you know what? I trust that if I do go through it, then God will give me the exact amount of grace that I need. And when God puts someone through a situation, God never puts them without a grace. But the grace is not the same. It's a customized, it's a prescription. It's based on your need and your circumstances in life. Exodus chapter 16, 21. This is the verse that we just read a minute ago. So they gathered it every morning, Every man according to his need. Every morning, every man according to his need. Every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted away. Here's our lesson. Here's our lesson when it comes to daily relationship. God expects our unexpected, and he prepares grace in advance. I as so much believe in this principle. Like if I, if I don't know what I could do, I would put everything on my life. I so much believe in this principle. And I wish you would believe in it too. That God knows what you are going to go through tomorrow before you do. God sees what you don't see. God hears what you don't hear. God knows. God expects what you don't have any expectation about. What's going to happen at work? What's going to happen at home? What's going to happen in the world? What's going to happen to health? God knows what you don't know is going to happen in every single day. God prepares grace for that exact circumstance. But you got to go and get it. And there are many people back in Exodus 16 who sat inside the tent and said, how come God didn't give me any food? And the answer is, God did prepare your food, but you got to go outside and get it. God expects your unexpected and prepares grace for it. We say every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What's our daily bread? What is it you're praying for? You're praying for bread? Most of us, we honestly got too much bread in our house and we could cut back a little bit on the bread. Okay? We don't need bread. And if all you think all you think, when we say, give us a day of daily bread, is God provide my home, and God provide my shelter, and God provide my food? We already have those things, so you don't need to pray it, okay? You have food, you have shelter, so stop praying if that's all you're praying. Do you think that's what God is saying when he says, give me my daily bread? Let me tell you what you need more than food, shelter, and clothing. You know what you need more? You need wisdom. You need patience. You need courage. You need strength. You need love. These are what we're praying for. We're saying, God, give us this day. God, you see what challenges ahead of me this day. And give me, Lord, my daily bread. Give me the wisdom that I need to get through this situation at work because I don't think I can do it on my own. God, give me the patience to do what I need to do at home because I don't think I can do it on my own. God, give me the humility. Give me the humility to go say sorry because I don't want to do it. That's my daily bread. And that's what we're praying for. And every single day, God prepares that meal for each one of us. One time a person told me, just to show you God 
the unexpected that you don't know. One person told me one time, Father Anthony, the stuff that I'm going through in life, he said, if I saw myself on the Jerry Springer show, I would say that's fake. That could never happen to one person. That's what he said. He said, if I saw myself on that show, I would say they made that up. There's no way that could happen to any person. There's no way I could have expected it. And I say to you, you know what? There's no way you could have expected it or I could have expected it. But I know someone who did expect it. And I guarantee you, he prepared you your daily bread. But you got to go out and get it. That's why sometimes people come to me in tough situations and you, what should I do? This situation at work, what should I do? This situation, what should I do? And I respond back with a stupid question. I say, what are you reading in the Bible? I say, Father Anthony, we ain't talking about Bible. I'm talking about work. I'm talking about career. I'm not talking about Bible. Look, when I ask the question, what are you reading the Bible? I'm not saying it because I'm not saying that the Bible is going to tell you exactly what to do at work, but I'm saying, are, it was the mindset. Are you feeding on the daily bread every single day? Do you go every day to God and are you seeking guidance from God? Are you seeking wisdom from God? Because I'll tell you what, if you want guidance from God and you want wisdom from God and you want strength from God, you want all those things from God, the place that he gives it is in that personal devotional time. That's where he gives it. So if you don't have a personal devotional time, then you're never going to find out. You're never going to be able to figure out what, what God wants, the, the wisdom that you need at work. This is in the personal devotional time where God gives us our daily bread, our daily manna. Let me show you a, a sad verse. It's actually a happy verse, but it's a sad verse. It's a happy verse, but the problem is because we don't experience it, it's sad for us. It says this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. This is you. As his divine power has given to us, given to you, all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Where is this all things? All things. You need wisdom? He's got it. You need power? He gives us all the things. Where is it? It's in your personal devotional time. Which, oh, by the way, you slept in and you didn't do. Which, oh, by the way, you don't do it because you watch TV. Which, oh, by the way, you do it for a minute and then you get a ding on your phone and someone updated their status. Okay, someone ate something new for breakfast and they posted a picture and you jump to that. And God has given to us all things. But because we're not committed to our personal devotional time, it passes us by. Back to this verse here from Exodus 16. Okay, another verse from Exodus 16. Let every man... This is not just about the daily man. It's about your daily bread today. Let every man, let every person gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. This is for each one of us, each person. And you say, okay, wait a minute. Okay, you know what? I'm with you, Father Anthony. I know God wants, and I know it should be my Bible, but the Bible is hard. Uh, but the Bible is difficult, and I don't have time, and I'm busy, and I don't get it, and I ever tried to pray, and I don't know how to pray, and I don't get distracted, and, and it's just so hard. What you're telling me is staying in physical shape is hard. I say you're on the right track. If it's easy, it's not getting you in any better shape. The fact that it's hard means that you're doing something right. It takes work. And that's what we learn right here. Daily manna requires daily effort. Daily manna requires daily effort. God told the people, each one, okay, each one could collect for those in his tent. Okay, meaning like his family, meaning like I would go out and collect for my wife and my children. All right, and each one would collect for those in his tent. But you could not go out and collect for people in other tents. And if I were to try to go out and collect for other people in their tents, this would go spoil. Each one needs to go out. And you say, hey, wait a minute. Why? And like, again, it's not efficient. Why don't we just take turns and you go on Monday and you go on Tuesday and you just distribute. Like, we can set up a whole distribution line. And it could be much more efficient right here. You know why? Because I 
cannot give you your daily bread. I come up here every Sunday, and I do my best to share what God is teaching me, and I hopefully that benefits you. But never, ever, ever replace. Never, ever, ever take a fish from me and replace that with learning to fish yourself. Ever. Ever. This is nice, and this is good. But this is supposed to be the cherry on the, on the, on the icing on the cake. But you're supposed to have a cake. Are you supposed to have a personal devotional life where you feed on God? That's where he encourages us. That, that's, where he, that's where he rebukes us when we need rebuking. That's where he opens our eyes to stuff. And too many of us are not healthy because we're eating a cake without a, 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 icing without a cake. <clears throat> Have you ever wondered why some people seem to be closer to God than others? We all know there's some people we hate them, okay? We want to admit it, but we hate them, okay? There's some people that you say, you know what? Like, there's going to be a prayer meeting. And some people, and they, you know what I mean? And you're just like, and you know, you, your back hurts and your feet hurt. Like, <clears throat> you hate those people. We hate them, right? Just admit it. We hate them, okay? Why does it seem like there's some people who are just closer to God? Why does it seem like there's some people who always have wisdom? Why does it seem like there's some people who no matter what they go through, they always get encouraged and I'm always discouraged. Let me ask you a different question. Let's say you see someone in the gym, all right? And he's got a perfect six pack abs like myself, okay? <laughs> so under the black, you can't see it, but it's there, okay? And you say, why does that person have a perfect six pack abs? There's an answer. I bet you he works out more than you. I bet you he doesn't eat Twinkies as much as you do. I bet you he didn't skip his entire workout, buy the, the, the four-minute ab roller, okay, and think that the, the bat plus the belt, okay, and then watch TV all day and just do the, the belt thing, okay? I bet you he worked harder than you. And if you see someone who's always encouraged, if you see someone who's always filled with joy, you see someone who's filled with peace, which surpasses all understanding. It's not a secret. As I bet you they do more spiritual work than you. I bet you they're committed to their personal devotional life. I'm not saying it's like a one-to-one -one ratio because it's absolutely the grace of God. But what I'm saying is, is when we invest in our soil, we should not be surprised when there is more fruit. And if we do not invest in our soil, we should not be surprised if our lives bear less fruit. And that is what personal devotional life is all about. Joshua 1.8, this book of law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. See, God says you have to work. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. See, we want, then you will make your way prosperous and good success without meditating on this book day and night and observe to do according to all that is in it. We like shortcuts. We like gimmicks. We like to order the thing for $1.99. We like to come to Father Anthony and say, Father Anthony, I got this problem. Give me the answer. I'm like, I don't know how to answer. We like to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to open my Bible and there's the answer right there. We like, you know what? I'm going to just go to church. On, I'm going to take off for all the Holy Week. I don't go to church the rest of the year, but I'm going to go to the end of Lent. I'm going to go Holy Week and all my problems are going to be solved. And that doesn't do anything. That doesn't do anything. Work out all day, all night. If you are not committed to a lifestyle of health, all bets off. I hope we're never the people sitting inside the tent and wondering why we are malnourished. I hope we're not the people sitting inside, sleeping in. Everyone else go out there and get the man and come back and he's healthy. This one go out and get the man and she's happy. And I'm sitting here inside my tent and I'm sleeping in and I'm taking a day off and wondering why am I not healthy? 
personal devotional life is the long-term solution for us. Now, with that said, I want to talk very briefly about the mechanics of what I'm talking about. Because I've been vague, intentionally vague. When I say personal devotional life, is that like the same as quiet time? Does that mean the same as prayer? Is that like reading your Bible? Like, what does it mean? People call it different things. That's why I intentionally like to change the name because I don't like it. Like when you say quiet time, people think it means one, two, three. I'm not saying everything has to look like this. Again, back to the exercise. I'm saying we got to put in work. But everybody works out a little bit different, okay? Some people need more on the hips, okay? Some people need more on the upper body. Some people need more on the backside. Like everyone's got a different, slightly different problem area, okay? So all I'm going to say Right now, I want to talk about four elements that I think are needed in your spiritual regimen. Four elements that are needed. But I'm not going to tell you the ratio, or I'm not going to tell, like, I don't want to give you the specifics. I'll share my specifics, okay? Maybe that'll be helpful. But like we talked about when we did the Finding Your Flavor series, is that each one practices a little bit differently. So I'm going to say pray. Some people like to pray in nature. Some people like to pray to close their room. Some people like to pray um, with songs. Some people like to pray by writing. Like, so don't, like, it's not a formula. It's more of exercises that lead to health. These four elements that each person needs. Now we'll run through these kind of quickly right here, okay? These four elements that you need for your personal devotional life. Number one, you need the Bible. Number one, you need the Bible. Got to have the Bible. Bible has to be central. Bible, 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 Bible. So many people ask me, what does God want me to do in this situation? How can I know God's will? Who should I marry? Which job should I take? Which city should I move to? And again, I always go back with, are you reading your Bible? The Bible will not tell you which city to move to. It will not tell you what girl to marry. It will not tell you uh, which job to take. But if you look at it and say, wouldn't it be great? Okay, here's God's will for my life. Here's God's will for my life. This is God's will. 99% of it, 99% of it is the same for all of us. And it's written in pen and paper in your Bible. You wanna know God's will for you? Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, don't just stop there, love your enemy. You wanna know God's will for you? Abstain from sexual immorality like we talked about last week. God's will for you? Honor your father and mother. This is right before the Lord. God's will for you? Turn the other cheek when someone slaps you on the one cheek. God's will for you? Forgive as Christ forgave. These are big things. And if you are not able to see the will of God, this 99%, but you say, give me the specific about who to marry. Look here, you can't see God's will and all these things. You're never gonna see God's will in this. So stop looking for the, 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 the gimmick. Stop looking for the, the trick and be committed to the word of God as teaching me God's will for my life every single day. So many people say, wouldn't it be great if God spoke to us like he used to speak to people? Wouldn't it be great if God could just appear and tell me stuff? Well, I got, I got news for you. I actually think the opposite. I think it's better to have God's word in writing than spoken. You know how many times people tell me stuff and I don't remember it in 15 minutes? People tell me all, imagine I tell you, here's everything you need to know about a relationship with God. And I, you can remember that? Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone wrote it down for us? Like that'd be much better. And that's what God has given to us in the word of God. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable for what? For doctrine, what to believe. Profitable for reproof, profitable correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scripture, the word of God is given to us to get us in shape. It's given to us to correct us when we need corrected, to rebuke us when we need it, to encourage us when we need it. And if we are not committed to the word of God, don't be surprised if you are not in good shape. Now with each of these, like I said, I'm gonna talk a little bit about what I do just very briefly. And I'm gonna call this a tip. Okay, just a tip, works for me, may not work for you, but I'll give you a tip in case you wanna figure out where to start right here. Two little mini tips on this one. 
All right, many different ways to read the Bible. I'll tell you what you need to do if you're gonna go personal devotional life, you wanna be serious? Two things, follow a plan, create a template. Follow a plan, create a template. What I mean by that is, follow a plan. Number one, have a plan of what you're going to read. Don't just wake up every day and say, I feel like reading Matthew today. I feel like reading a chapter. I feel, like don't, don't, don't leave it to the decision, okay? The best way is make a decision in advance. I'm gonna be on this plan, and if you go nowadays, okay, when we were young, you had to like come up with your own plan because it was difficult to find. Now, you, to open a, the Bible app, you version is a billion different plans. Come up with a plan. Say, I'm gonna read the Bible in a year. I never done that. You say, that's too hard. Say, I'm gonna read the Bible in two years. Say, I'm gonna read the, 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 the New Testament, like whatever it is. Come up with a plan so you don't have to think when you open the Bible, what am I gonna read today? You know exactly what you can read the next day. And then when you come up with a plan, create a template. What I mean by template? Meaning, I have a journal. So every day, I, I know exactly what I'm gonna read, like I don't know now, but I could open this up and tell you what I'm gonna read tomorrow, and I'm gonna, I know exactly what I'm gonna write in my journal. Okay, and it boils down to some kind of reflection question. And this can be different, okay, but I like to come up with questions. I'm gonna answer these specific questions for every passage that I read, all right? The way I, I think about it, read, reflect, record. Read, reflect. Reflect is where you, you know, you, you, you don't just swallow, you chew it. So you read something, you reflect, and then you record, okay? And I, again, I come up with a template. I could tell you mine, but I, that's maybe a little bit too personal here. So we're just, everyone needs to come up with a template. When we did the Bible plan for Lent, we wrote down three questions, okay? And that could be a template. Where's, like, where, what was the aha moment? What did I learn? Where's Christ in this? And how, what kind of application? Come up with a template so you're not every day trying to figure out what to do, all right? But I believe in writing because I believe if you write nothing, you gain nothing. You write nothing, you gain nothing. So number one, the Bible come up with a plan, create a template. After you read, reflect, and record, there's actually a fourth R, and that is you respond. And the way you respond is with our second element of personal devotional life, which is prayer. Gotta be prayer. Can't be personal devotional time without prayer. Again, like I said earlier, relationship with God is not Santa Claus. It's not, I just come and I say, I want one, two, three, four, five. It's not going to a restaurant and saying, yes, I would like one of this and one of this and one of this. God is not the waiter. It's a conversation. So I like, okay, here's my tip on this prayer one. I like Bible first and respond with prayer as opposed to the opposite. That's not the only way. Some people like the opposite, like to pray than Bible. I like this way. I like to open my Bible, God speak to me, and then I respond to him about the subject that he's speaking about. I respond to him about the subject that he's speaking about. You want to know why I do that? I'll give you a couple verses. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Start with my word abides in you and now ask what you desire. You know why? Because you're asking based on your word, his word inside me. So it's not a random request. It's his word inside me and then I ask based on that. The next verse makes it even clearer. James 4, 2. You ask and do not receive because you ask and miss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know what happens oftentimes? When we start with prayer, God is coming this morning to rebuke you and to tell you, you have a blind spot that you don't see. And you, you pray and say, can I have an iPad? Can I have a blessing at work? I'd like this. Like, what's, this no wonder your, your personal devotional time stinks because you're having a one-way conversation, talking to yourself. God is rebuking you and you're asking for a promotion. God is coming to speak to you about repentance. And you're talking about something completely different. That's what I like to read. And then based on what I read, I respond. And that response happens in prayer.
Number three, time. You need Bible, you need prayer, and you need time. Meaning, it has to be a priority. How much time? I'm not going to answer that question. But I will say this. You can tell your priorities by how much time you spend on something. Even I used to say you know your priorities by your time and your money. By how you spend your money and how you spend your time. I actually come to the conclusion that time is more valuable than money these days. And I can prove it. It would probably take a lot less effort for me to get 20 bucks from every person in this room than to get 20 minutes of time from everyone today. I bet you I could probably convince you, hey, just take the 20 bucks and leave me alone. Then to get 20 minutes of your time. Because our time is more valuable to us. And what says that something is a priority is when we spend time. How much time? I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you a mindset towards time. Psalm 63.1 says this, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Early will I seek you because my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. This is what it's supposed to look like. You think that the psalmist here, how long do you think he spent in quiet time? How long? Two, three minutes? Early will I wake up. Two minutes. I will seek you like a thirsty man. Oh, but after two minutes. I'm not going to tell you how much time, but I'm going to tell you a mindset of how important it is to you. And my tip here for you, okay, my tip for you is start small, but then go larger. Start small, meaning don't start saying, I'm going to spend an hour and a half every single day. Next day, you'll never do quiet time ever again. Start small. What can you honestly commit to? But then don't be content with small. Get that little victory under your belt. Say, you know what? I'm going to spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever. Like I, I want to say, and I'm going to be consistent for a whole week. Then you know what? Next week, I'm going to increase it a little bit more. I'm going to increase it a little bit more. Start small, gain consistency, and then boom, challenge yourself and get bigger. Number one was Bible. Number two was prayer. Number three was time. Anyone want to guess? What else is missing? <laughs> quiet. And don't skip past this quiet thing. Because to be honest, the hardest one of the four is this one. We need to create something which doesn't exist on this planet. A distraction-free zone. You know what a distraction-free zone is? You don't because it doesn't exist. And if you are able to create it, this truly is a piece of heaven on earth where nothing rings, nothing buzzes, no one interrupts, a place where you're just focused on God. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Not be still only physically, be still mentally, be still like sensory-wise. Again, this is supposed to be a date with God. What would happen? Can you imagine a relationship where husband and wife together on a date or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. Let's say husband, let's take that. Okay. Husband, wife, and the whole time he's doing like this and he's checking and he's watching the TV. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Can you imagine that? You can because you see it all the time. But I will tell you that a relationship that has that will affect the quality of the relationship. That a relationship where the person is distracted when they're with each other I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm telling you it exists. It, you see it all the time in restaurants. But I'm telling you, that will directly impact the quality of that relationship. And if you don't believe me, you're wrong. 
The hardest part of quiet time, the hardest part of the personal devotional life, the hardest part is the shutting of the door, closing of the door, not just the physical door, but the mental door, and everything being quiet, and me just focused. And again, I'll share a tip with you, and I'll be honest with this one. This is the hardest one. This is the one that takes the most work. You got to really put an effort, and you got to be creative to find a, a, a distraction-free zone. And I myself, this is a struggle for me. I've tried many different strategies. So I'm going to tell you a strategy I'm doing right now, and it's actually contradictory to a strategy I used to do before. Okay, what I used to do before is I used to do first thing in the morning, I would not check my email, I would not check the phone, I just rushed to get in a prayer in a quiet time, and that was my strategy for the longest time, and that was very good. But then I had a problem. As I try to get up earlier, I also sleep earlier at night. So the problem is when you sleep early at night, you're always afraid, like when I shut down at like 8 o'clock, okay, 8.15, 8.30, then you're always afraid that like something people call all the time, you know, but my phone is off. So then you're afraid something happened from 8.30 until the time that normal people sleep. So then that's bu bugging me on my mind. So now I do something the opposite. Now actually in the morning, I get up and I do my workout and I check what's going on in the world, make sure there's no fire, everything is okay. And then after I've settled and I've calmed down that the world is at peace and everyone's at work and everyone's okay, then I jump into my quiet time and it's allowed me to focus much better. Is this way right or is that way right? Well, that way worked for me for a while, this way worked for me right now. I'm not telling you the only way. I'm gonna tell you that you need quiet and you need to be creative. Some people tell me the only time I get quiet time is at night after everyone's gone to sleep. Great, do it at night. No one says, there's no rule that says you can only talk to God in the morning like he goes to sleep early too. I sleep early, but he doesn't. Do whatever works for you, but you must find a way. No buzzing, no distraction. What are the four elements? Bible, prayer, time, quiet. You must find a way to integrate these four things and to create a time in your life, in your day, where you can have time with God. Last thing I'll say. I gave you the formula right there. I gave you the exercises, and those are super important. But I'll be honest with you. Be very honest. I only do that because I know some people are really hungry and looking for some steps. But I'll be honest with you. 90% of your personal devotional life has nothing to do with the mechanics and has everything to do with desire. It's a relationship. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Any relationship boils down not to mechanics, boils down to desire. And I guess my question that I'm asking you, and I'm asking it all humility, not saying you have to answer to me, but I'm asking you to ask yourself, how much do you really want God? Like, be honest. Like, how much do you really want God in your life? My opinion, I believe you have as much God as you want in your life. Because if you wanted more, you'd seek more and you'd find more. And I don't say that in a condemning way, but I say that in an honest way. How much God do you want in your life? Are you okay with the checkbox relationship with God? Like, are you okay with that? Are you okay with the God as like a requirement? Sometimes we treat God like a requirement. Like he's like, like spending time with him is like a tax we have to pay. It's like going to the dentist. Okay, like I'm a Christian. God takes care of me. So I just have to pay the tax and you'll go spend time with God. Sometimes we think that spending time with God is for his sake. Like God Forgive me. You owe me now. Like, God, you owe me.
forgive me. If that's you, I think I can speak on behalf of God. Forgive me. Say, don't do me any favors. Don't do me any favors. I love you. And I want you. But don't do me any favors. You want to spend time with me? I told you all. One time, why I say this? Because there was a time in my life where I actually heard God tell me these words. Not like voice words, but I felt it very strongly in my spirit. Where I was, man, I was working hard. And I'm a priest. And I'm, I'm, I'm not reading my Bible. I'm teaching the Bible. And I'm not praying. Man, I'm leading others in prayer. And I'm, I'm burning the candle at both ends. And I am, and I am, and I am. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't have time for this. Okay, God, you know what? I'll do it. And I didn't say you owe me, but that was kind of my attitude. You owe me. You know what I felt God tell me? You know what I felt God tell me? I don't ever want you to spend time with me ever again. If you're doing this for my sake, I'm okay. I love you. I want to spend time with you. But you're not doing me any favors. You want me to bless you? Here, I'll bless you. I'll bless your whole life for the rest of your life. I've already blessed you more than anybody else, and you know that. I'll bless you the rest of your life. I'll bless your ministry. I'll bless your family. I'll give you the best wife. I'll give you the best kids. I'll give you the best of everything. Take it. But don't do me any favors. If you want me, I'm here. I said in the beginning of this series that the solution to your problem isn't the solution to your problem. Finding God is. And today, as we are one week away from the most sacred week of the year, God comes to us very nicely and very gently and says, watch out, watch this one. Not only I love you, but you know what God says to us? I like you. You ever think about that? God likes us. God likes you. We know God loves us. We love everybody. Love your enemies. Love that guy. Love people. Lo Actually, loving people is a lot easier than liking people sometimes, isn't it? And God says, I like you. I like to spend time with you. I love to spend time with you. But don't do me any favors. You will seek me, and you will find me when you search me with all your heart. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite our music team to come back up here on stage. They don't mind. They're going to close us out with a song. And before we sing this song, okay, I'm going to read something to you before we sing the song. And I'll tell you what it is I'm going to read. What I'm going to read to you is actually something from my own personal journal from the year 2007 when I had this conversation with God where I felt him telling me, don't do me any favors. I love you, but you're not doing me any favors. I'm going to read to you. This is just my own. So this is not like scripture or anything. It's just my, I mean, you can put it in whatever category you want, but it's just my own stuff. I'm going to tell you what I felt God telling back to me and what I wrote down in my journal. And I've always saved it in a special place just for times like this. Let's stand up together. Okay. And we'll just close our eyes, take a minute of silence, and I'm going to read this to you. And you're not hearing me say this. You're hearing this from your heavenly father. Hello, my beloved child. I'm so glad that you're here today. I've been waiting for you for quite some time now. You didn't realize it, but I've been here since last night. They didn't move from this spot. I knew you'd be here this morning, so I decided to wait. I didn't want to risk missing you. You don't know how much I've been looking forward to this moment. 
I love you more than you could ever possibly imagine. Since the beginning, I have loved you with an everlasting love, one that no human could ever comprehend. But my plan is to share a little more of that love with you this morning. There is nothing that I wouldn't give to show you how much I love you. No cost is too high. My desire is to give you everything, everything that is good and everything that you need. I came here today to give you life and to give it abundantly. There's nothing that you lack that I can't give to you today. My dream is that you and I walk together in power, in victory, in joy. I desire that because I care for you more than you care for yourself. I've never taken my eyes off you for a single second or a twinkling of an eye. And now I am excited that you came here this morning so that I can shower you with more, more of whatever it is you need in life, more strength, more wisdom, more joy, more peace, more of me in your life. There is nothing that gives me more pleasure than to give you the keys to the kingdom. My deepest and strongest desire is that we may be one as I and my father are one. That is why I'm so glad you came this morning. I've been waiting to spend this time with you. I don't want anything from you, I just want you. I don't want your time, I don't want your money, I don't even want your words, I just want you. I want you to be mine and I want to be yours. That is why I'm here this morning, knocking at the door, I'm coming to see you. Now I ask you, why are you here? What do you want? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, there's no words that can express how appreciative we are of your love for us and how unworthy we are, Lord, that you would see all of, all of creation and you would like focus all your attention and all your love on just, just us, just me, like I'm that important to you. It's unfathomable, Lord, how much you see all of our bad stuff, yet you still love us so much. And for that, Lord, there's no words that we can like, say to thank you. Thank you, we thank you, we thank you, Lord, for you coming to this earth to be one with me. And Lord, we want that we want to make like a new start. And we want to like spend time with you on a daily basis, not just say words on Sunday and hear words and clap and sing. But we want, Lord, to, to be committed to spending time with you on a daily basis. So please, Lord, we ask for your help. Pray that you would help us with all that we discussed during this series and that our soil would be fertile and that we would be prepared to receive you, to receive that seed, Lord, and that it would bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. We ask this in the mighty name of our Lord, our God, and our Savior, and our King, Jesus Christ, and with the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.